0: Hi, I'm Sophie Berger, and thank you for tuning into Josh Studios. Today, I am joined at the White House with Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Mr. Lincoln, thank you for meeting with me.
1: Thank you for being here, Sophie.
0: No problem. Today, I'm going to ask you some frequently asked questions by some of our viewers.
1: Okay, sounds fun.
0: The first question is from Kyle Walker. He asked us, how are cabinet members selected?
1: Cabinet, member, cabinet officers are nominated by president, to, which was me. They are confirmed by the U.S. Senate by a majority vote. Each official receives the title secretary, except the Attorney General, who leads the Department of Justice. Cabinet members serve at the pleasure of myself, the president, and may be dismissed at any time. Tradition holds it that cabinet secretaries secretaries resign when a new president takes office. Either president may select... Potential candidates from any walk of American life, business, education, the military, or those already in government service. The Ineligibility Clause of the U.S. Constitution, however, states no person holding any office under the United States shall be a member of either house during his continuance in office. This prevents any sitting member of Congress from serving in the cabinet unless he or she resigns from Congress.
0: Thank you for that, President Lincoln. Thank you also for clearing that question up for Kyle.
1: No problem, Sophie. That was a great question, Kyle.
0: Now for the next question. The second question is from Desiree Harley. She asked, what is the history of the cabinet?
1: Ooh, another great question. Well, the history of the cabinet extends to the first U.S. president, George Washington, who called meetings of the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasurer, Treasury, and the Secretary of War, and the Attorney General to advise him on issues. James Madison described these meetings as the President's Cabinet, as the nickname Stuck, and the nickname Stuck. The U.S. Constitution, however, does not mention the Cabinet, but several provisions refer to principal officers of the Executive Departments.
0: What great history, Mr. Lincoln. Thank you.
1: It's no problem, Sophie. Thank you for asking that, Desiree.
0: On to the next question, asked by Peter. How exactly are members chosen?
1: The president nominates cabinet officers. The nominees are then presented to the U.S. Senate for confirmation or rejection on a simple majority vote. If approved, the presidential cabinet nominees are sworn in and begin their duties.
0: Oh, gotcha. Now, how often does the cabinet meet?
1: Whenever the president wants, there are no formal requirements for the cabinet meetings. Gatherings of all 14 secretaries and their aides have become a rarity outside the formal portrait at the beginning of a presidential term. The president more often meets with advisors and department heads involved in specific subject areas such as the economy or foreign affairs.
0: Thank you for some amazing answers, Mr. Lincoln. It means a lot that you took the time out of your day to allow us to be here.
1: It was great with you here. Thank you for having me.
0: Now we're going to hop over to my good friend, Jalen, back at Jazz Studios. Jalen.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Avery. Thanks for tuning in today with me and our special guest, President Trump. Thank you for making the time to come out
0: today and join us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we are going to be discussing
1: the federal budget for the official year 2019 and what it entails. Mr. Trump, could you give us an overview of this year's federal budget?
0: Of course. In fiscal year 2019, the federal budget will be $4.407 trillion. The U.S. government is estimating that it will receive $3.422 trillion in revenue.
1: Where does that revenue come from?
0: Well, most of the revenue comes from taxes which are paid by you either through income or payroll taxes.
1: How much will the government be setting aside for mandatory spending?
0: The government will spend 4.407 trillion. Most of this, about 62% of expenditure pays for <laughs> mandated benefits such as social security, Medicare and Medicaid.
1: How much do these three benefits cost alone?
0: Social security is by far the biggest expense at $1.046 trillion. Medicare is next at $625 billion, followed by Medicaid at $412 billion.
1: Let's move on to discretionary spending.
0: Well, the discretionary budget is $1.203 trillion. More than half goes toward military spending, including the Department of Veteran Affairs and other defense-related departments.
1: Speaking of the military, what's the budget for two thousand nineteen?
0: Military spending was budgeted at eight hundred eighty-six billion.
1: What would you say is the biggest expense in the military spending category?
0: The biggest expense in the Department of Defense base budget at five hundred ninety seven point one billion. Overseas contingency operations will cost eighty eight point nine billion. These departments also receive emergency funding of $18.7 billion.
1: Does that, what does that emergency fund pay for?
0: Well, that pays for the war on terror costs and ongoing costs from the war in Iraq and the Afghanistan war.
1: I have one last question for you. What's the budget deficit?
0: The budget deficit will be $985 billion, which is the difference between $3.422 trillion in revenue and $4.407 trillion in spending
1: well. Thank you so much, Mr. Trump. This definitely gave me a better understanding for the federal budget for 2019. I hope it gave everyone listening that understanding, too. Thanks for coming. Thank you again for coming today.
0: You are welcome, and thank you as well.
1: That's all for me, everyone. And for the last topic in today's cast, uh, we'll head on over to Hannah.
2: Thanks, Sophie. Hi, my name is Jalen, and I'll be answering some frequently asked questions. Hopefully, this will help with the understanding of executive orders. Kyle asks, what role do executive orders fall in and how do they work? Executive orders fall under the chief legislator role, which the president is the chief legislator. The president writes an order, Congress reviews it, and as long as it's not violated the Constitution, the executive order will be put in place. The order will be a law and must be followed. Brian asks, do the people have any say in executive orders and can they be blocked? No, they are not voted on or approved by the people. The people have no say in executive orders. Congress can only block them if they violate the Constitution. Sherber (laughs) asks, what are some examples of executive orders? One famous example is Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order 9066. This order was signed February 1942 after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. This order allowed the deportation of Japanese Americans, Italian Americans, and German Americans to internment camps. Soon the internment camps were only for the Japanese Americans because the Pearl Harbor bombing was done by Japan. Another example is President Lyndon B. Johnson's Executive Order 11246, which was signed on September 24th, 1969. This executive order banned discrimination and hiring of government contractors. Richard asks, was the travel ban with President Trump an executive order? That's a really good question. Yes, it was an executive order. The actual name was Executive Order 13769, which was signed by President Trump on January 27th, 2017. Better known as the travel ban, it lowered the number of refugees admitted into the United States suspended the Syrian refugees' admissions program. travel ban prohibited people from Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Syria, and Yemen from traveling to the United States. Susan asks, can executive orders be overwritten or overturned? Yes, executive orders can be overturned by another executive order. For example, Executive Order 13769, which is a travel ban, was later suspended in March 2017 because it was overturned by Executive Order 13780. Haley asks, have there ever been any executive orders that have infringed upon the Constitution? Yes, many people thought that Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order 9066 infringed upon the Fifth Amendment. Since that executive order put many Japanese Americans in internment camps, with the only reason being the U.S. government did not trust them because Japan did Pearl Harbor. Japanese Americans had nothing to do with the bombing but were punished without a due process of the law, which is, which is supported in the Fifth Amendment. Which the japanese americans were never put in front of a court but they are still punished which goes against due process they're also deprived of life, liberty and property by the government that's all for executive orders segment hopefully you learned something over to avery who'll be asking president trump some questions over federal budget
3: hello today we'll be sitting down with mr obama and asking just a few questions
2: thank you for having me here today how are you
3: i'm great how are you
2: i'm great as well thanks
3: Good. Today, I just want to ask a few questions for people who are interested about your time in the White House and what it was like.
2: I'd be glad to answer some questions.
3: Great. So one question someone (laughs) requested to ask was, what was your role as chief legislator? And would you give us an example?
2: As chief legislator, I had many duties, but one of them is when Congress would pass bills. I'd review each bill and decide whether to sign it into a law or veto it.
3: What would a veto be?
2: The veto would be a constitutional power to reject the bill passed by Congress, I would not agree with. But an example of being chief legislator was a, was a speech to joint sessions of Congress regarding health care. On September 2009, I urged Congress as a whole to pass health care reform for all Americans.
3: Oh, awesome. That's pretty interesting. Yes, it is. Another question I was requested as a chief diplomat, does the president deploy troops abroad abroad?
2: No, the duty of deploying troops is not a part of the president's role as chief diplomat. Instead, deploying troops to places like Afghanistan and Iraq is a part of the president's role as commander in chief of the armed forces.
3: Right. I understand.
2: Yes, diplomacy has to do with conducting relations with foreign countries.
3: Right. Well, that completes our interview for today with Mr. Obama. Thank you for so much for coming today and answering these questions.
2: Thank you for having me today. You're very welcome.
3: That would complete everything for us. Have a good day, everyone.